0: I encourage you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. We read in John last week. We're going to return there this week. It's on page 906 of the Black Bibles in front of you there. We're going to begin our reading here and then move into uh, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, as we go. We know Jesus has cried out from the cross just a few days ago, It is finished. And indeed it was finished. The suffering of Jesus was No more. The penalty for sin had been paid uh, in its entirety. Um, But that's not the end of Jesus. The Gospel writers, John included, never intended for us to stop at Good Friday. The events of this last week, Maundy Thursday as we gathered and Good Friday, all meant to move us to where we are today on this Sunday morning. The ultimate low and humiliation of Jesus now propelled upward in His glorious a resurrection, that empty tomb on Sunday. So as we read John 20 this morning, I recognize it's, it's going to be familiar language, a familiar story to many of us, not all. Um, and if you've heard the story before, it, there's always a danger. Um, it's something that we expect to hear on a Sunday morning like this. And when our tummies are full, thanks to Ron and Ed and Abigail and preparing breakfast for us, uh, we can kind of hit cruise control for the rest of the morning, um, but we need a fresh appreciation um, for what God has done, what's happened on that Sunday morning, its implications for us. So I'm going to read from John 20, and remember, John provides a little more commentary than the other gospel writers, so that his, write, his readers would understand these things and believe uh, what it is um, Jesus has done. So we'll make connections with Paul's instruction in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, and now that you've just settled in with your Bible open on your lap, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read and submit to God's living and active word together. From John 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is God's word. Let's ask his blessing upon our time. Lord God, we do praise you for this word. A word that we are familiar with. A word that many of us have heard over and over again in the events that described this Sunday morning so long ago. And yet, Lord, they don't grow old. This is your word to us. This is true history. This is necessary uh, for our understanding. Necessary for our worship of you the risen Lord Jesus. Lord, work in our hearts now. Teach us. Mold us into the image of our Savior. Grow our affection and our love for our risen King. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts this morning, as you feed us through your word and at your table, be glorifying to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated once again. So you live and you die. That was the great conclusion of Dr. William Provine at a debate at Cornell University. Uh, Dr. Provine, a very distinguished uh, professor of history and uh, evolutionary biology at Cornell, and he would often debate his uh, atheistic views. Um, Very smart man in his field, and he summarizes their clear implications That this has, of modern uh, evolutionary biology has to life. There are no gods and no purposeful forces. Uh, No life after death, no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life, and no free will. How does Monday morning sound to you after that? Um, Here's how he concludes You won't be surprised when you die. Because you'll be dead if I live after I'm dead I'm going to be really really surprised but at least I'm going to go to hell where I won't have all those grinning preachers from Sunday morning with me Um, sounds like dr. Provine may have had a scarred history in the church Um, but death is the end of the line it has to be for that particular worldview and what we discover here from John chapter 20 For Mary Magdalene and the others uh, who were with her, that death was the end of the line. Jesus was dead, and now they couldn't find him. And judging by the sprint that Peter and John made to the tomb, they had every expectation to find Jesus there in the tomb. He'd been crucified. Now he was dead. Game over. I mean, it'd it'd been a good run. He had taught them a lot of things. They had seen marvelous things by the work of his hands, evidence that the kingdom of God was at hand, but now, now he was gone. I mean, what did that mean? What does anything mean now? If Jesus is dead, then all he said means nothing. All that he restored through, through his healing touch, it really, it really doesn't matter. Because death wins, that's it. Like Dr. Provine claimed, you live and you die. No foundation for what is right and wrong. No ultimate meaning in life. There's no reward for service or sacrifice because the one that you've helped or the organization or system that you've helped, well, it just comes to an end. It dies. So the trouble with this, brothers and sisters and family members and friends, is that we cannot live this way. You cannot live the rest of this Sunday or into tomorrow morning without meaning or some purpose. And even Dr. Profine admitted this. And so he comes up with what he calls proximate meaning instead. So that, that roast you have in the oven, maybe honey-baked ham, oh yeah. If we could just get through this service, then we can, we can stuff it in our faces again. So there's some purpose, there's a, a proximate meaning there. That you have for your day, or maybe something else. Maybe, maybe it's a vacation. You're looking forward to a vacation. If you could just get through, you know, so many more days of work and get these things set aside and in order, then you can make it to your vacation. That's the proximate meaning. How about something more noble? Um, Family. My kids. My kids need me. My grandkids need me. I want to spend time with them and enjoy them for a while. So that that is a purpose in living, your proximate meaning. But if you die, and you will die today or tomorrow, however long it might be, all those proximate meanings have no ultimate meaning. Because you're gone, and those that you lived for will be gone. At the age of 50, the Russian philosopher and novelist Leo Tolstoy uh, he really was at the verge of suicide because he had one question that he could not answer. Um, one question, he said that it was lying at the soul of every man. It's a question we still have today. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? That's, that's right, right at the heart of the matter. Does the empty tomb actually mean anything for Meaning? What purpose do we find here in 2018 in the fact that Jesus has left the grave, the cloths folded neatly in place? So much of life, so much of the the hardships, the afflictions of life from day to day just zap that meaning, zap that purpose if it was there to begin with. But according to John, according to the other gospel writers, something has happened here that was supposed to happen. Something has happened here that must happen. See, the disciples don't get it yet. John admits this of himself. Admits it of of Peter. Um, Only in time that the Holy Spirit would teach them that Jesus must uh, rise from the dead. So We're going to look at Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15 because he tells us what this means. what, What it means from a negative standpoint if Jesus is not alive again and the tomb is full and then what it means from the positive standpoint if the tomb is in fact empty. So... Full tomb, an empty life. Empty tomb, a full life. So 1 Corinthians 15, also beginning at verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. and Your faith is in vain. to be pitied see the church in corinth just like uh, every other church that i know was struggling with um, multiple problems in regards to the resurrection some of them thought that there was simply no possibility of a resurrection they would join dr provine in that view um, there were others that thought the resurrection had already happened it's done we're still here now what and still others, they, they could not fathom a resurrection of the body. So they, they just denied the possibility of it. Even for the Jews, who aren't, aren't the primary audience of Corinth, th- there was a resurrection coming, the end of time. A general resurrection of all, but the idea of just one rising from the dead, that, that didn't make sense to the Jew. But what Paul says so clearly in these verses is that to deny the possibility of the resurrection actually capsizes the Christian faith. If the tomb where, where Christ was laid, if it is full, then it would destroy the very foundation in which the gospel rests. The Christianity would be a delusion. You and I would be wasting our time here this morning if for some reason we held time to be meaningful. Another consequence of the full tomb is that it makes the apostles very, very good liars. I mean, you, you toss out your Bibles if that's the case. All of Paul's church planting mission—it has no purpose for the apostles to spill so much ink in instructing the churches. It means that those who have died before are, are simply gone. They're lost. We see in verse 18. Game over. But here, here's the worst news of all. The most dire consequence of a full tomb is right there in verse 18. Excuse me, verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Do you know what that means? That that means that we pay for them, that we're going to pay for them. Do you know what the going price is for sin and rebellion against God? It's death. And not just physical death. I mean, this is a, a separation from the, the common grace of God that we enjoy now and, and a placement under his wrath forever. I mean, our worst day, our worst day that we can imagine doesn't hold a candle. It's to the torment that our sin has earned us. That's what we have to look forward to if the tomb of jesus is full and so that the death and the the resurrection of jesus they go together we can't separate these two as a as a single redeeming event If, if the tomb is full there is no redemption from sin and therefore no redemption to life so how does monday morning sound now even dinner this afternoon if the tomb is still full so my friends, hear, hear the weight of this this morning. If Christ is not risen, then your life and mine has no ultimate meaning or purpose. We are dead in our sin. Even though you're sitting here physically right now. You're eternally dead. So, so proximate meaning then would be all that you'd have. You hold on to that, because when it's over, it's over, and all we have to do is look around. You probably won't get through the day without seeing or hearing how quickly that ride comes to an end. Uh, Pastor Francis Schaefer, well-known apologist in this last century. He said, "Many today, both in and out of the church, live for the impoverished and hollow values of personal peace and affluence. I want to live as undisturbed as possible. I want to grab as much power and stuff that I can. You hear the proximate meaning there. There has to be purpose in life. And so for most, it's, it's peace and affluence, preferably both. And maybe you've discovered by now, we continue to ingrain this through the power of the Holy Spirit, that these values are, are without hope or ultimate meaning. So all... A life of peace, free from any affliction, no matter what the cost. It's quite temporary. You can fight for this day after day after day after day. And you realize that fighting for this peace is not all that peaceful. Affluence, power, all the material stuff that comes with it, it just it vanishes. Given to someone else when you die. This is the wise man of Ecclesiastes. He tested this for our instruction just read a few verses as we think about meaning if the tomb is full. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. I hope we're getting a picture here. No hope, no meaning, if the tomb of Christ is full. Again, author Dick Keys in his book, Chameleon Christianity. The vast majority of real life goes on without reference to anything beyond the immediate cause and effect in this world that we seem to control. If death is the end of the line, if Christ is not risen, then, then life is lived instinctively. You know, so it's pain management or cause management from one day to the next. So do you live like that? Do you live as if Christ is not risen? It's not only empty, it's meaningless, without hope. But thankfully the clouds break. I don't know if they've broken yet outside, but they do break in our text. Uh, Paul does not stop in verse 19. He says that glorious but in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So what God has promised he would do, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, he has done in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The tomb is empty, Dr. Provine. Death is not the end of the line. Dr. Provine knows this. He died of a brain tumor in 2015. And the author of Hebrews says that the resurrection of the dead is considered one of the elementary doctrines of the Christian faith. Elementary, my dear Watson. Elementary. This is basic stuff with extraordinary implications. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. So that says there's going to be more. There's more to come. He's the the first of a much larger harvest. And he's the example that, that reference point of all that resurrected life is. For those of you who don't know, baseball season is here. Just a couple of days ago, the opening day was on Thursday. Major League was the earliest opening day in Major League Baseball history. I'm not sure how many of them were rained out or snowed out. I know there's some NCAA game on tomorrow, but big deal. It's baseball season. Um, and So we have all, the, all the, the young little leaguers, those aspiring to their Major League career, they're looking at their favorite pitcher and their favorite shortstop or center fielder to be their reference point, the one they want to be like. Right? For the Christian, Jesus is that reference point that we not only hope to be like in resurrected glory, but we can enjoy that resurrected life now. Those who belong to Christ have died to sin. So all that eternal bad stuff we mentioned just a minute ago, That's gone in Christ. We can now live in Him. Later in Ephesians 2, Paul says we were dead in our sin without hope and without God in the world. But in Christ, we are made alive. Life life is poured out through Him to all who belong to Him. Right before raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, if you believe. Paul said in verse 23 that Christ is the first fruits of all who belong to him. So that begs a very obvious question. Doesn't everyone belong to him? Right? He made everyone. Everywhere. That's certainly true. But will everyone everywhere enjoy this resurrected glory free from the eternal torment that every sin deserves? The answer to that is no. Not remotely. If you believe, John chapter 6, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him on the last day. If you believe if you have eyes of faith fixed upon Christ, then there's life. Your existence has been infused with meaning and purpose. The empty tomb and the life we have in the resurrected Christ is what gives meaning and purpose right now and forever. This isn't proximate meaning. This is a meaning that vanishes. This is the very life to which you and I have been made. Our very purpose. Listen to the apostles' praise of Christ's authority in Colossians 1. For by Him, that is Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. You and I are here. We exist for this very purpose. Not just to... Stuff our faces at dinner. Or to take as much vacation as possible. Or to build as big a nest egg as possible. Or to have as many friends on Facebook, if you haven't deleted your account yet, as possible. We are here to glorify and enjoy the Creator of all things. To see Christ lifted up. To see Him exalted in our lives. Through our attitudes, through our actions. So you're here, you're at home, you're at work, you're at school, you're in the playing field to make much of Him. That's why you exist. And I realize that this is exactly the opposite. It's 180 degrees from everything else that the world is telling you all the time. That it's about you, it's about your wants, it's about your opinions, your freedoms, your best life now. And you can believe that and hold on to, to some meaning until you die and then be very surprised along with dr provine or you can believe that christ has died taken his life up again for you that your life is not about you it's about him it's about him in your free time it's about him in your marriage it's about him in your parenting it is about him in your work it is about him in your on your coffee breaks It's about him when you're at school or on the the playground. The more we make of Christ, the more we depend upon him, the more we love as he loved, the more human we are. So you and I can fulfill the very purpose of our humanity only if the tomb is empty. So allow me to summarize just a few implications here of a resurrected life now and forever in Christ we have life in Christ through faith, it means that we can relate to God now not out of fear, but out of love. We don't fear this punishment. We don't fear what our sin so clearly deserves. Because we have died and now live in Christ. No greater love has been shown to us. And how how can we withhold any less than to love our Lord? with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. It means we're free to serve others with the love of Christ. So that this service, oftentimes there's, it's not all that comfortable or all that easy. There's suffering that goes along with service. But it actually has meaning now. Here's what one pastor says, Why sacrifice for the needs of others if in the end nothing we do will make any difference? If the resurrection of Jesus happened, however, that means there's infinite hope and reason to pour ourselves out for the needs of the world. Why? Because it's for Christ. Partnering with Christ. It's out of love for Christ. So we have this glorious inheritance. We don't have to to fight or compete with one another for material things or spiritual blessing. We can serve and pour ourselves out For one another because Christ is alive and his kingdom comes resurrected life in Christ it also means that we can love ourselves the way God does it puts the proper meaning and perspective on self-image I know we struggle with physical self-image I know we do but the hope we have now the resurrected glory to come it frees us from giving in to our every urge. It frees us from having to have that perfect image, that perfect appearance. The day is coming when Christ is going to perfect this stuff, this tent. Be like His glorious body. So we care for our bodies, but we're not slaves to our bodies. Finally, because we have redemption in Christ, um, we can make Him known to those who do not yet know. Those who live with only proximate meaning are eternally dead. We can share, and we have every reason to share where ultimate meaning and purpose and hope is found. So a tomb that still contains Christ, it means we're lost and without ultimate meaning. But an empty tomb, a resurrected Jesus, means we have life and life to the full. Hope for each day. We won't understand it all. Um, there's troubles that you're going to face, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, that you will not understand. And things seem to be out of control. Zapping meaning, zapping purpose. But if your life is hidden in Christ, you need to know that there is no fear. You have been made and infused with meaning and purpose to live on this great stage of redemption. I want to close with a few words and he writes, speaking of the resurrection. The message of the resurrection is that this world matters. If Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming our hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, and poverty are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. That's the resurrection. The grace of God in the resurrection of His Son. Victory over the grave. That gives ultimate meaning for those who are bound to Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Believe in Him. Live for Him. And share Him with a watching world. Let's pray together. Lord, you feed us through your word. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We thank you for the very meaning and purpose that this gives to us in this moment and in the minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years ahead. That our lives are hidden with Christ by faith. Strengthen that faith. Deepen that affection. Encourage that hope. We pray in Christ's name, amen.